As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Ask NT Wright Anything podcast. Hello and welcome back to the show, my regular sit-down with renowned New Testament scholar N.T. Wright. I'm Justin Briley from Premier and we're bringing you this programme as ever in partnership with N.T. Wright Online and SBCK. Today, talking about forgiveness, your questions include, is there in fact an unforgivable sin? Uh, Do we forfeit God's forgiveness if we don't forgive? Jesus had something to say about that on the Sermon on the Mount. Are we getting it right? Um, And what about those who die without accepting Christ? Do they get a second chance at forgiveness? Um, Thank you for everyone who's been leaving ratings and reviews of the podcast. Uh, Hanover 5 said, it's a wonderful, encouraging podcast. We love listening to it. My husband and I have greatly deepened our understanding of the gospel through listening. It's the podcast we didn't know we needed until we had it. Thank you both. Looking forward to your next episodes. Thank you so much. Uh, I I love that phrase. The podcast we didn't know we needed until we had it. Uh, If you enjoy the podcast, do feel free to rate and review. It helps others to discover us. Uh, And if you want more from the show, as ever, you can get it at askntright.com. Time to get into this week's episode. So today on the show, we're taking your questions on forgiveness. And uh, we've got questions here from Erin, Sam and Fiona in various parts of the world. Uh, I don't know if if you've ever struggled with forgiveness, Tom. I, I remember well my grandfather, who wrote a memoir about his time as a prisoner of war. Um, he went on to become actually a Church of England minister uh, because of his experiences under the Japanese Um he talked about the barrier that he had for many years after the war towards Japanese people and really struggled with bitterness in his heart. Um, But it was really God's help that allowed him to, to come to a place of forgiveness ultimately towards the Japanese. And and ironically, he went on to become a, a a missionary um, serving in the far East. And there were many Japanese under his pastoral care in the end. So um, it was one of those, those, those ironic stories, but Yes, forgiveness is, is is a huge one for many people, isn't it, Tom? Yeah, yes, it is. Um, curious, I didn't know that about your grandfather. My father was a prisoner of war for five years under the Germans, oh. and uh, it was. Uh, I've never heard him discuss pro or con about forgiveness, though there would have been a huge amount to forgive. But um, in his, I think, fifties, so like sort of thirty years later, after that experience, he and my mother went and had 
one or two holidays in Germany and went around and visited some of the places, some of the castles and so on, where he'd been imprisoned. Um, and I think that was, was kind of a reconciliation. Uh, you can look the demons in the face, as it were. And then he had business contacts who were Germans, and he actually made friends with them. Mm. And I think for him, that was a way of of reaching out and saying, I'm just not going to hold it against you as, as a whole lot. Um, but And my father was... Uh, a devout practicing Anglican in a very quiet, understated way, but very definite. And I think he was probably just working all that through. Mm. Um, my own sense is that, yes, forgiveness is mandatory, and yes, forgiveness is hard. And sometimes it can sort of sneak up on you. Um, there are times when I have been deeply hurt by somebody and have felt I'll never be able to forgive this person. And then a year or two down the road, when I've met them in some other context, um, I've been perfectly happy and friendly with them. And only later I've realized, oh, my goodness, I seem to have forgiven them. Um, and I think that's simply that as one is praying for them and as one is holding one's own sense of resentment in the presence of God and asking for healing, then sometimes that can happen quite deep down and we discover that it has happened. Sometimes it takes a deliberate act of will in which we say to ourselves and in God's presence, I can't promise that I will like this person because that may just not happen, but I am not going to hold against them what they did. I'm not going to treat them mm. any differently mm. as I would have if they hadn't done this. Um, and, and that act of will can create a context within which actually um, much more positive emotions can spring up and we might actually discover that, that there are things about them we do like and we do get on with them again. At the same time, if somebody, say, had persistently um, been dishonest in, in business dealings mm -hmm. or something um, and, and, and cheated me out of a lot of money, that hasn't happened to me, but supposing it did, then forgiveness might mean I mustn't hold it against them. It probably wouldn't mean... Um, I must reestablish a business relationship with them mm. because that, that may just be that this is a deep problem that they have and it would be unwise for me yeah. just to jump back into that one mm. again. And, and so there are, there are matters of discernment yes. there. Would that mean I wasn't yeah. forgiving them? No, I don't think it would. Mm. I think I mm. could forgive them, but simply say it would be wise yeah. not to go that route again. And likewise with other more sort of um, pathological conditions. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this is all helpful introductory um, sort of uh, preamble, really, to, to some of these questions that have come in. Yeah. I'll, I'll start actually with Sam's question in British Columbia in Vancouver, um, who, who wants to know, um, I've got a deep regard for the Sermon on the Mount and its teachings, but I've always been hung up by chapter 6, verse 15. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Is God's forgiveness really contingent on our actions between each other? And of course, this comes in the to some extent in the Lord's Prayer, you know, forgive us our yeah, sins yeah, as we yeah. forgive those who sin against us. Um, is, is there some kind of, you know, give and take on this um, when yeah. it comes to God's forgiveness? It, isn't that interesting? And, and yes, I mean, that's the one bit of the Lord's Prayer which Jesus takes time to explain immediately afterwards mm. in Matthew chapter 6, which I've always been fascinated by. I mean, there's lots of other things in the Lord's Prayer. Um, why, why doesn't he explain a bit more about um, uh, give us this day our daily bread? You know, you're going to need this, and so make sure you pray about it. No, it's the forgiveness one, 
and nor does he bother to explain deliver us from evil um, mm. so it is fascinating that he seems to want to rub that in i think the first thing to say is that that jesus is inaugurating god's kingdom on earth as in heaven and god's kingdom god's sovereign rule on earth as in heaven is all about forgiveness and reconciliation and healing it's about the return from exile it's about all that stuff in isaiah 40 to 55 and so on and if somebody wants to be part of this great new movement this kingdom of god on earth as in heaven but wants to say but actually i'm not going to forgive this person or that person then they're saying i want to be part of this but i don't want to be part of it in other words it isn't um, that god is saying by the way there's some uh, there's a few boxes you've got to tick here this is organically what the whole business is mm. about this is a kingdom of forgiveness and if you say i want to be part of the kingdom of forgiveness but i don't want to be part of the kingdom of forgiveness then you're talking nonsense the other place this comes is, of course, Matthew 18, that very worrying parable about the servant uh, who owes the master a fantastically large debt and the master forgives him. And the servant promptly goes out and tries to throttle somebody who owes him a few small coins. And the master hears about it and says, uh, no, this doesn't work like that. And and then at the end, it says scarily, so will my heavenly father deal with you if you do not each forgive your brother from your heart. And we should say in the light of earlier conversations, <laughs> your brother and your sister. Um, what I think is going on is this. We all have, as it were, and this is very metaphorical, a kind of gateway in our innermost heart and mind and soul. Um, not a soul in a platonic sense either. In, in our insidest inside, we have a gateway which can open up to receive God's love and forgiveness. And it's the same gateway which opens up to give love and forgiveness to others. And if we decide to shut that gate so that we are not giving love and forgiveness to others, we cannot receive the love and forgiveness of God. It's the same gate. And so it isn't a matter of if you don't tick this box, God won't tick that box. It's, it's a matter of a sort of organically true that if mm. you're a person of forgiveness, then you're a person of forgiveness. And if you're a person of non-forgiveness, then you're saying, I don't want to believe in forgiveness, which means I'm not having God's forgiveness either. And so I think it's something to do with the deep recesses of our, of, of our personalities um, about being forgiveness yes. people or not. Another question on forgiveness, um, and this refers to, to a well-known verse that has troubled many people down the centuries um, in Matthew 12. But Fiona in New Zealand in Christchurch says, um, help, firstly, there are many parts of scripture I wrestle with. And while I'm usually happy to fall back on lean not on your own understanding, etc., I'm having trouble to do that with Matthew 12, verse 32, where it says, people will be forgiven for every sin and blasphemy, but blasphemy against the spirit will not be forgiven. Surely there are no exceptions to what can be forgiven and your thoughts would be appreciated. OK, this is this is sort of a, a classic question that comes up in relation to forgiveness. Is there the so-called unforgivable sin of blaspheming sure, against sure. the Holy Spirit? What what do you make of this? Yes. Tom? Um, there's two immediate things to say. One is the context that the context there is about people who are saying that Jesus himself was demon possessed. Uh, and this is a charge which was brought against Jesus because Jesus was doing extraordinary things 
and people who didn't want to believe his message about God's kingdom coming on earth as in heaven, um, even though they saw that he was doing amazing healings and so on, they said, it must be because he's in league with Beelzebul, and he casts out demons by the prince of demons. Matthew's reader knows, like Mark's and Luke's and John's readers know, that Jesus was specially equipped by the Holy Spirit for the particular um, ministry that he had. That's very clear at the start of each of the Gospels in the baptism and then in the manifesto in Luke chapter 4, where Jesus quotes Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointing me to do this and that and the other. And the point is that the people who are accusing Jesus are looking at the work of the Holy Spirit in and through him and saying that is the work of the devil. In other words, that is the very specific thing which Jesus is warning against. That if you look at the work of the Holy Spirit and say that's the work of the devil, then, as I said in the answer to the previous question, you are slamming the door on any possibility that the love and, and, and forgiveness of the Holy Spirit will reach you. You're saying, we don't want that, thank you very much. So it's, it's as it were, technically unforgivable, um, not because it's sort of there's a sliding scale of potential forgivableness and this one happens to fall off the end of it oh dear but rather because if you look at the work of god the holy spirit and say that must be the work of the devil then there is literally no hope because the hope comes in precisely the work of the holy spirit which you have just not only denied but blasphemed you've bad-mouthed you've said that god's work is in fact the devil's work so that's the the kind of contextual answer and I suspect that very few people who now piously ask this question in churches have ever had the slightest intention of looking at something which is going on, which is the work of God's spirit, and said it's the work of the devil. Sadly, that does sometimes happen when people are, say, wonderfully healed in churches which have taught for years that healing does not happen today. I know one or two instances where people have been, I would say, miraculously, wonderfully healed, where people in their churches who simply don't believe that's possible have said, this must be the work of the devil, where they've sometimes even cast them out of church because they're obviously demon-possessed. That seems to me a very, very serious issue, and I would apply Matthew 12 to something like that. Mm. The short answer, which you, Justin, must have heard many times, and I certainly have, is that if you're worried about having committed the unforgivable sin, it's obvious that you haven't committed it. Because if you had committed it, you wouldn't be worried about it. Um, that may sound a kind of a cheap and cheerful response, but actually it's true. It's true, because you would only be worried about it, be worried about sinning and, and its consequences if the Spirit were working in you. And uh, so it seems to me look at the context, hmm. be refreshed, be um, be comforted that, uh, yes, it sounds a strange thing to say, but in context, it actually makes a lot of sense. Final question then. Um, and this is more about forgiveness post-mortem, as it were. And, and it's a question from Erin in North Carolina, who says, my boyfriend is a new Christian, the only Christian in his family at this time. As we've been praying for his family members to also come to know Jesus and thinking about the resurrection to come, he's been wondering why death is, as it were, the deadline to be saved and begin a relationship with God. I realise I only have guesses at how to answer him and we would both like to know with more certainty. Um, so, so essentially this, this question sort of, well, is there a sort of second chance for forgiveness? Why, why is death the cutoff point? I mean, this takes us into 
all kinds of other territories potentially here, Tom, <laughs> about the nature of salvation and, and so on. But um, any, any brief thoughts, at least, for, for Erin and her, her boyfriend? <laughs> yes. Um, in the New Testament, salvation is so closely joined with believing the gospel. And the gospel is very much about here we are in this world. God is renewing this world. Here is the offer of the gospel. Here is Jesus. Um, are you going to turn away from it or and, and go on worshipping idols or not? We have no promises whatever of second chances after death in the New Testament. So if you're starting with the New Testament, it really looks all the way through as though here is Jesus. We should be so lucky as to, 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 to have the chance to know God through Jesus. If we then look at that and say, not for me, thanks, then uh, we are saying not for me, thanks. Of course, that raises the question, what about all the people either before the time of Jesus or in the present day who've never heard of Jesus or who've only heard the name of Jesus used as a swear word or in violent or abusive or whatever contexts, which would be totally antithetical to who Jesus actually was and is and what his message is all about. When we come upon those sort of situations, I think the New Testament simply says to us, God is sovereign, God is gracious, God is merciful, God will do the right thing. And that sense of, actually, it isn't my business to sort this one out. It is ultimately God's business. But saying that doesn't, as it were, let us off the hook and think, oh, well, it doesn't matter because um, once I'm dead, then God has many other ways of, of um, trying to persuade me to, to worship him after all. We are not told anything about that. This does, as you said, get us into all sorts of mysterious areas. C.S. Lewis wrestled with this one quite a lot. Um, and though he was not a universalist, he was greatly attracted by the work of George MacDonald, who probably was. And in C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce, he does seem to be finding a way of saying mm. that actually maybe even in the moment of death or thereafter, maybe it's as though things which weren't quite clear before can now be made a bit more clear. That does doesn't necessarily mean that everyone says, oh, yes, I see, I'm, I'm up for this. Um, but it, it, it was his way of just gently exploring an area about which we are not told very much. I think there is a problem when people associate salvation with a very explicit and articulated faith, which, of course, would be the norm in, say, John or Paul, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, etc. And for Paul, um, those he justified them, he also glorified. You are justified by faith, so don't expect to be glorified if you haven't had that faith, etc., etc. All that is true, and yet there is a sense of shall not the judge of all the earth do right. There is a sense in Romans 2, Romans 2, 1 to 16, that God will judge all in a totally just and right way. And uh, the God who is going to do that is the God we know in Jesus and by the Spirit. So I have never been a universalist, but I, as I look at the questions of what we know and what we don't know about God's ways with the world, I want to say it is a matter of trust. It is a matter of leaving to God questions which we are not qualified or capable of answering ourselves. Well, I hope that's helped you, Erin. Um, and we don't claim to be capable of answering all questions fully. Uh, <laughs> they, we get an awful lot of them, uh, but we, we hope that this has been helpful in some way. Um, 
Yeah, great stuff. Thank you very much, Tom, for your answers you. on these questions of forgiveness and the unforgivable sin and that sort of thing. And we'll be back with more questions next time. Thank you for being with us this week. Next time we're asking, did it really happen? We've got questions from listeners on the historical scholarship that sometimes seems to undermine the credibility of biblical events. And we're asking, did accounts of early Christian persecution get exaggerated? So uh, your questions on those kinds of issues next time. Uh, don't forget that our show partner, NT Wright Online, are offering a free ebook from Tom on the Book of Acts for podcast listeners. There's a link to that in today's show notes and as usual links to askntwrites.com where you can sign up for more from the show and you can support us from there as well we've got an ebook we'd love to send you if you're able to do that for now thanks for being with us and see you next time <music>